Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, if you flip open the newspaper this week, there's a big story all about the flood of foreign productions coming into British Columbia. It's great for the economy, but how do BC producers create domestic content when they're going against these well-capitalized Hollywood productions in the fight for talent and infrastructure? Bouton Law Entertainment lawyer Heather Watt, she's going to join the show to talk about some of the grittier parts of this debate, like maybe even accusations over snatching workers and how BC-based producers are trying to stay competitive. Before we get to that, a couple of events that I want to share with you guys. Now, you can find out more about the best way to find the best price and buyer for your business. That's May 8th at the Vancouver Club. We're going to have an expert panel there giving out all the information you're going to need. And also, we have our Cannabis 2.0 event. We're going to be discussing very much, again, kind of the business side of things here with edibles, infused beverages, topicals, and vapes. And if you want more information on that and all our other events, go to BIV.com slash events. Now, let's take it away with Heather Watt. The volume of film and TV productions in BC has shot up more than 20% over the past fiscal year to reach an astounding $3.58 billion. This is according to a new report from the Canadian Media Producers Association. But growth has actually really been driven by foreign productions coming into town. So what does this mean for local producers as they strive to create domestic content? Joining us today to share some of her insights, it's Heather Watt. She's an entertainment lawyer at Boughton Law. Heather, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So I I don't know if this is maybe from anecdotal observation on your part here, but how are local producers really doing when it comes to being competitive with regards to securing talent and infrastructure when we see these big giants coming into Vancouver and they have the financial capacity to pretty much get whatever they want at this point? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, as far as my clients go, I definitely see them putting up a good fight. Um, We still see a lot of really great local content being made um, by our independent producers here in Vancouver and and across Canada, of course. Um, But, you know, I, uh, anecdotally speaking, we've seen situations where um, we've had like literally half of a film crew get uh, poached by a U.S. producer that came in and just had better financial terms they were able to offer. And this was mid-production. And I've seen fights over particular crew members, you know, usually above the line crew, um, people with more specialized areas uh, that they work in, but it, but it, it can get pretty dirty out there uh, when it comes to, to finding the, the structure for your production. So uh, what, what are their options at that point if they are you know strained to get this talent or if, as you say, there, there's even instances in which people are being scooped up? Are there easy methods to fight against this or is it just you're going to have to put your nose to the ground and, and try that much harder to make a domestic production here in B.C.? Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it's hard. It's um, a matter of, of people really um, straining against the already limited budgets that they're working on, um, maybe trying to, to seek out other sources of financing elsewhere to increase their budgets so that they can offer more competitive uh, rates to, to crew members that they want to engage. Um, you know, there's, I, I think a lot of, a lot of the time you see people um, that maybe don't have the, the big budgets um, looking for 
newer members that are coming out of school and are new to the industry, which is great for those people, right? Getting the opportunity to, to work on a crew. Um, and, it, and it might just mean that you're starting to look for somebody with slightly less experience than, than what you maybe want, but everybody's got to start somewhere. Um, so it does end up working out well for, for those folks that are coming right out of school or, or do have less on the ground experience. Um, and that's what I see a lot with the, uh, the smaller, more independent uh, productions that I work on is um, people kind of coming together in a really collaborative way um, and just saying, hey, let's just give this a try. Um, and, and you know, it ends up working out. Like I said, we, got a, we have a lot of really great content coming out of Vancouver these days. And I, I like the idea that this is actually giving some people opportunities to get their foot in the door to pursue this. But one of the things that you touched on that, that maybe we can talk a little bit about is just access to financing. In this report from the CMPA, the Canadian Media Producers Association, they do note that access to financing for domestic productions, it is taking a dip here. And this has been an ongoing trend for the last few years. I'm wondering, in your experience, have we seen, say, domestic producers reaching out for more international co-productions as a means to make up for some of those gaps? Are, are we seeing that there's more opportunities actually presenting themselves lately with regards to those financial financial options? Yeah, I think what we're seeing here is that um, people can be very creative about the way that they find the financing for their production. So international co-productions are, are definitely a, a really advantageous way for our local producers to put really good quality content out there in collaboration with an international partner um, and not have to search too hard on finding uh, different sources of financing for that. Um, and then, uh, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, um, we've got people that are, they're crowdsourcing. They're, you know, uh, asking family and friends to donate whatever they can to, to work on the project. Um, and, and you'll see sort of financing sources come from lots and lots and lots of different angles. And, you know, it makes it a little bit difficult to put, uh, your project together. Um, you have to be very careful about making it very clear who's getting repaid when and in what mm. order. Um, but, uh, but, but people find a way. And I think that really speaks to, you know, the tenacity of the filmmakers that we have here is that the bottom line is they've got a passion about the creative project that they want to make. And, and they do end up finding a way to get that money. Um, you know, we've got, we've got um, CMS, we've got uh, um, Telefilm, we've got, you know, smaller funding sources like Telus. Um, and so there's always little bits and pieces of money out there that uh, my clients are able to find and source. Um, and then they always tend to be able to supplement that with just people that believe in the project and are just as passionate about it as they are. I was talking to a local producer, TV producer, last week, and he was telling me how 20 years ago, the deal was, is as a BC-based producer, you'd go out to Toronto, you'd rub shoulders there, you'd make your pitch, you'd hope to get a national broadcaster on board and maybe an international distributor, and that was that. That's how you kind of made everything go. At this point, with things becoming a little bit more fractured, a little bit more splintered, do you actually see maybe opportunities opening up more for domestic producers and that not all paths, not all roads lead back to Toronto? Maybe there are more opportunities for them if they can seek out funding from other sources, say LA, London, or as you say, just going to you know crowdsourcing from friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, that, that old model, you know, it, it maybe was, a nice secure way of proceeding because you would know, Hey, this is where my money is coming from. Um, and you didn't run, really have to worry about filling any gaps. 
Uh, now what we're seeing, and you know, this really is to do with the huge proliferation of um, over-the-top and, and streaming services, Netflix, uh, Amazon. Now we're seeing Apple is getting into the game. Um, you know, there's so many players now that uh, our local producers aren't necessarily bound by having to work within this Canadian content framework um, and they can get their money from elsewhere. They can use talent from elsewhere and, and cobble things together because they know that ultimately uh, the, the end product might not end up being broadcast on um, a Canadian broadcaster. Or if it does, that might be the secondary route of, of exploitation. You might have initially had uh, a, a license with Netflix that, you know, gets you in front of a whole bunch of eyes in the first place. And then one of the Canadian broadcasters takes interest after the fact um, or comes in later in the game. Um, and so it, it's, it's really interesting, the, the landscape that we're working in right now, because there's so much opportunity for uh, Canadian producers to be creating content, um, not just for the Canadian broadcast system. And now what we're seeing, of course, is um, the, the Canadian broadcast system trying to kind of catch up to that and say, well, wait a minute, we, we, we need to see some regulation here. Um, so that's kind of the flux that we're in right now. Yeah, I know there's a lot going on uh, before the CRTC at this moment. It's going to be intriguing to see what comes out of this. But you mentioned a second ago, you know, this development of Canadian content. And I, I recall last summer, we had the announcement of the uh, local initiative to incubate more storytellers through the Pacific Screenwriters Program, especially, you know, when you consider the fact that we do have these foreign productions coming in. Do you think that there is this need to get this homegrown kind of storyteller talent to make sure that we have kind of the scripts ready to go, then we can get maybe financing backed and, and we're meeting a lot of the obligations that you think we would need to meet just to get, I guess, kind of this culturally relevant stuff here that really represents stories from British Columbia. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, I alluded to it before, but there's certainly a tension between uh, the international um, streaming services uh, and the Canadian regulatory framework as it currently exists. Um, and, you know, the idea that, well, to some extent, we do want to see these international players adhere to uh, what our Canadian framework is or should be, because, of course, the, the over-the-top um, systems don't really work within the linear broadcast framework that currently exists. Um, and so, you know, I think the tension needs to be uh, moving towards a balance between competition on the marketplace, but also regulation that that really actually recognizes that we're in uh, in this different realm now, where there's a whole bunch of new players that are that are operating in Canada, and and they should be operating in here um, on the same playing field as as our national broadcasters have to. Uh, and I, I think that will provide a lot of support for uh, for the local filmmakers that are trying to get their work out there. Uh, and I am curious about your thoughts on this, though, because things are changing so quickly. You know, is there a, a bit of a problem with, you know, government trying to get a handle on everything? And within maybe two or three years down the road, maybe the, the industry could change dramatically once again? Or do you think we need to be, you know, striving to figure things out, given kind of the, the current climate, the current status, and then just try to keep moving on, keep adapting as best we can moving down the road? I think, yeah, I think that's what's going to have to happen. I mean, uh, you know, it's not 
it's not like it used to be 30-ish years ago when, when the current regulatory framework came into play, when linear broadcast was kind of just the way of it, and there was sort of only one way of getting your, your work out there. Now we're seeing the creation of all different types of platforms to get your work out into the world. And, you know, one that I, that I just was hearing about very recently is this new platform, Quibi, and it's actually going to focus on short form content. So really like maximum kind of 10 minute uh, bites of, of entertainment and content um, for people that are kind of, uh, you know, of the 25 to 35 demographic, they're out of the house for most of the day, they don't necessarily have time to sit down and watch an hour's worth of content. And so, um, you know, this, something like that is something that's potentially going to change the playing field again. Um, and, and so I don't think that any current regulatory change can be done in a way that says, this is how things are now going to be going forward. I think it has to be uh, the notion that things are going to keep changing and we have to be able to, to adapt and respond um, as those things continue to change. Well, look, it's a great time to be in this industry with regard, regardless of what's going on. I, I, I've never seen it busier. I, I've been covering this beat for about five years now, and I, everybody I talk to you says it's a very exciting time. So we're going to keep following this. And Heather, I'd like you to come back and share more insights as we go down the road as this industry continues to uh, shift and morph and develop into something that's having a huge impact on the BC economy. Oh, I would love to come back anytime. Thanks so much. Excellent. That's Heather Watt, entertainment lawyer at Boughton Law. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends and leave five stars as it helps more people find the show. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening. <laughs>